internet what is up well here we are it's another wednesday and here we are with weapons free wednesday happy hump day to everyone let's get into it ah so today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by our good friend Corey schroeder over at capital city wealth management what is capital city wealth management do they are i should say Corey is a phenomenal broker and financial advisor amongst certain things. He's also a Wyoming National Guardsman and Afghanistan vet. He's a great dude. So what is he doing for us? He is helping us with financial planning. We are trying to save enough money and grow our wealth and diversify our portfolio so that we can die someplace warm one of these days. So if that's something that's on your mind and you're getting to that point where you've got uh, some money and you want to know how to either beat the tax man, which I highly recommend, or how to take that money and invest it wisely and grow it, he is your guy. So you need to get a hold of him on Facebook. And his page is at Capital City Wealth Management. Or you can reach him via his office cell phone, which is 307-222-8498. I highly recommend you guys do it. And if and if you're a listener of the podcast, he will get you set up with a free consult. So it's definitely worth it to at least pick his brain. At least fire him up and ask some questions and see what the guy has to say based on what your objectives are. So we highly recommend that. He's a great dude, super ethical guy. Give him a shout. Okay, so that wraps up that. And we will dive into our first question. Because I'm so fucking good. Hey, hey, get some, baby. Get some, get some, get some. Get some, get some, come on. Get in, come on. Get some, get some, yeah, yeah. So from our South African favorite human, Soria, she hit us up on DM and she said, your, your recent discussion touched on resilience a bit. So uh, I have a question to the experts. Do you think prior military has higher thresholds of resilience as you were in a position where you had to be or you were in a position where death was always there? Okay, so yeah. I would say, I mean, every generation has this issue where, you know, the generation before it was harder. We had to walk to school uphill both ways. The blizzards were 10 feet deep, all that jazz. So, yeah, I mean, we've seen a, I would say, a shift into back into peacetime military training. We have a bunch of stuff to contend with these days, and I am looking forward to getting some current, I have a Marine that may come on the podcast here soon and may participate in a Weapons Free Wednesday. And I'm excited to sit down with him and pick his brain on current goings on in the United States Marine Corps and find out, you know, kind of what the uh, the current uh, climate is there. We uh, sitting, you know, sitting outside the circle these days and looking in, uh, especially with what, you know, what transpired with our exit from Afghanistan, the decisions that General McGuire made, Old, old McFuckstick McGuire over there, and the decisions that were made on the ground, which led to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Scheller doing his YouTube videos and basically demanding some accountability from the Marine leadership and seeing how all that was handled. I'm, I'm interested to see kind of where, where things are at. This whole situation really reminds me of, I would say, a quote 
by the famous Athenian general and philosopher Thucydides, who once said, we should remember that one man is much the same as another, and that it's he who is best who is trained in the severest school. And I'm a big proponent for that. And uh, my time in the Marine Corps, dating back to 1995, when I first entered, we were a very Spartan organization, and we have I would hope remain such in certain communities within inside the Marine Corps. We've got all these problems with critical race theory and all the things, all this woke culture that is now permeating into the ranks of the military. And frankly, I disagree with all of that. I think the military is best when they focus on the defense of the country and war fighting and not internal politics within the country. It's a it's better to be an apolitical organization and to remember that we are all on the same team and all the relatively the same color, which is what we were told when I went through boot camp. We were it was beaten into us from the time we showed up there that we were all now green. There was no white, there was no yellow, there was no red, there was no black. There was only dark green medium green, light green, or in some cases, just dark green and light green if the drill instructors wanted to keep shit simple, which is good because they're dealing with humans that eat crowns. So it's probably a good idea. So to answer the question, I would say, yeah, we've seen, we've seen a shift and we're, you know, we've completely dialed down the amount of war fighting that's going on. Everything's becoming automated. We've got drones doing all of our fighting for us these days, which I disagree with. And uh, really, there's no substitute for the guy on the ground. But since we've dialed back uh, large-scale combat operations, and you don't see a large, you don't see large amounts of uh, ground combat arms personnel or uh, special operators in mass operating in the capacity that they were uh, prior to things winding down and prior to our exfil from Afghanistan, I would say, yeah, we've, we've, we've start to see the peacetime bullshit take over the military. So to answer the question, yes, I would say it's a, it's a definite issue and it's nothing that I'm excited to sit back and watch because our warfighting institutions need to stay vigilant because of the threats that we've got coming up on the horizon. So yeah, so that's question number one. Hope I answered that. Question number two. This is another one. This is good. This is a we're more Marine Corps stuff. This is from one of our other favorite listeners, Jay. Why did the Marine Corps develop a special operations command? I thought special operations units were organized by land, air, sea capabilities, so Navy SEALs could cover that, right? If there was a need, why was it brought in so late? Well, that's a great question. So why was Marine Corps Special Operations Command, MARSOC, uh, stood up? And why were they implemented since we've got some crossover and capability with what our Navy SEAL cousins do? Uh, basically, what happened was Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld recognized via, you know, talking to the Joint Chiefs that there was a massive capability gap in operational size of forces that were being for deployed in the special operations community. Like they were stretched incredibly thin and they were not, they had, you know, we were fighting at war and two two theaters. We had the Iraq thing going on, and then we had, uh, obviously, Afghanistan and 9-11. And so I, I was in the Marine Corps during this time, and I got to get front row seats to the whole birth and genesis of the Marine Corps Special Operations Command community. 
via my friends that I served with that were in the force recon community that were hand selected to be part of Marine Corps Special Operations Command Detachment 1, which was the test bed uh, that was stood up to see if the Marine Corps had the capabilities and the manpower to basically cut the mustard in the special operations capacity. So they stood up this command. It was commanded and headed up by Colonel Bob Coates, who was uh, somewhat of a legend. He was a uh, he was a commander of uh, Force Recon, and he was a, also the commander of Marine Corps Special Operations Training Command, SOTG, Special Missions, and then he worked at the MEF uh, level uh, on special projects advising uh, General Mattis when uh, General Mattis was the MEF commander there. So I had great relationships with that command, had great friends there, knew several of the guys that were hand-selected to be part of the uh, reconnaissance and assault element uh, out of the Force Recon community. It was an 86-man detachment. 30 of those were Force Recon Marines, and then there was a contingent of signal intelligence people and uh, linguists and human people, and then a headquarters element. And they were stood up and went through a training workup and were equipped and then went overseas to uh, and deployed in the Iraq theater and went on a deployment uh, as part of a, I think they were strap hanging with a uh, naval special warfare element, and they were deployed with uh, in tandem with Team 7. And so they deployed in theater. They did extremely well. They came back. They had glowing remarks from everybody uh, as to be expected. And then they, uh, once that information was compiled and Congress was briefed, and uh, by Rumsfeld, they decided to stand up. Uh, Marine Corps Special Operations Command. And so what they did with that was they took 1st Re- uh, Force Reconnaissance Company and 2nd Force Reconnaissance Company and just redesignated them as Marine Corps Special Operations Battalions 1 and 2. And they deactivated DET 1. And a lot of those Marines went on to uh, go back into the reconnaissance community and some of which uh, went took selections and became uh, Special Mission Unit members. Most of those gentlemen have been retired for quite some time. Great great dudes, and they pretty much were pioneers for special operations in the United States Marine Corps. So the the reason they were stood up and, you know, vetted and stood up and activated was because there was just a huge, there was a huge uh, personnel gap that needed to be filled, and they did that. Now, is the, uh, are they, are they, uh, do they have the same capabilities as naval special warfare? In a lot of ways, yeah, they do, and, and then also they don't. So one thing that kind of sets SEALs apart in terms of amphibious capability from the Marine Corps is we don't have SEAL delivery vehicle teams. We don't have SDV teams, which are the uh, miniature subs. Marine Corps doesn't play in that pond. So that is a capability that definitely differentiates SEALs from MARSOC. Also, MARSOC is set up like a, you know, they're more task task organized like a, um, uh, and modeled after a special operations, or I'm sorry, special forces operational detachment alpha or an ODA, uh, where you have certain specialists and their numbers and manpower are mirrored off of that. And a lot of uh, retired uh, army special operators were pulled in to help set up the assessment selection and uh, operator training course pipeline for MARSOC, so it's very heavily modeled after what the Army is doing for their assessment selection for special forces, and their the way their operator training course is set up is it's uh, or it's it's called ITC individual training course, and the way that that is set up is it is very much mirrored after Q course, where you have a field phase, a MOS specific training phase, in a uh, language phase, and then a final uh, training exercise similar to 
modeled after Robin Sage. So there are various nuances uh, between us and the and our SEAL counterparts. However, we are not tasked uh, organized like them. There's a very heavy emphasis in the Marine Corps Special Operations community placed on because it's the units evolved from reconnaissance elements. And so there's a there's a heavy emphasis put on reconnaissance and human intelligence and cyber intelligence and electronic intelligence. There's a lot of intelligence fusion that's been kind of put in the DNA of what Marine Corps Special Operations Command uh, uh, has evolved into. And then also being task organized like an ODA, we have other specialties and are, which are sensitive, so I'm not going to go into that, but they are also FID heavy where they are designed because they're modeled after an ODA to go in and integrate to do unconventional warfare operations and foreign internal defense stuff. Whereas our SEAL counterparts are more of a special reconnaissance and direct action. Like that's kind of their more their wheelhouse. They don't like to really play that nice with uh, partner forces and doing the whole integration and cultural thing with the with with the partner forces. So that's another huge diversity. Some people may argue with me on that, but I've been out in the field and seen it firsthand where I've like worked with both entities and seen both entities in action and just the seals don't play nice with endage so they don't typically do that so that hopefully that answers that question so we'll kick on let's do question number three all right we got some good questions today Uh, question number three what battle or operation in the last 20 years do you think defines the modern marine corps and why Ooh, that is a great question because we have definitely participated in the last 20 years of the war on terror. We've we've definitely we've definitely been in our fair share of of scraps for sure. But what defines the modern Marine Corps? Well, first and foremost, the Marine Corps really prides itself on being a expeditionary fighting force. And what that means is like we are self-contained in the Marine Air Ground Task Force and we can forward deploy and bring a lot of weight to the fight. Uh, you know, we jump aboard ships and we are on part of the amphibious ready group and bringing all the things that the Marine Corps brings to bear in conjunction with what our Navy cousins bring in an amphibious ready group, we can get places and relatively quickly and we can self-sustain with all of our supporting assets and that's just something that the Army is not that great at outside the special operations community. I'm talking about on a conventional level, like we, to basically put a conventional uh, force out there quickly, like nobody can really match us on that. So that's kind of our it's kind of our bread and butter. And what we've know, been known for is our expeditionary warfare fighting capabilities. So being able to forward deploy quickly and be self-contained and be able to sustain for 90 to 120 days uh, via the MU, Marine Expeditionary Unit. So I would say that really is what our bread and butter is. And so in the last 20 years, what do you think, you know, has defined that? Uh, It's been our ability to get into theater quickly. I would say the first thing that comes to mind is when, you know, the Mew went into Afghanistan right at the outset of 9-11 and secured, you know, uh, the uh, objective rhino in southern Afghanistan with with the Mew and operated autonomous, autonomously in southern Afghanistan for uh, the initial push into Afghanistan at the outset. And then I think General Mattis was the Mew commander and he was in he was in charge of that that operation. And I think that was the, if I'm not mistaken, the 11th Mew. I could be wrong on that. My history could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was the 11th Mew under the command of Mattis and they pushed into southern Afghanistan and they were self-contained and participated in uh, combat operations in southern Afghanistan for, I think, a good 
30 to 60 days before they were withdrawn. So I would say that's probably one of the things, but the Marine Corps has accomplished so many amazing things in the last 20 years that it's really hard to put my thumb on it. But if you wanted me to come up with an immediate example for, you know, what I think defines the Marine Corps, it's our expeditionary warfare capability and that particular you know, ability right there. You know, also if we're talking, you know, the invasion of Iraq, which I participated in, like we, uh, I went on a West Pacific deployment and then came back and was home, got off the ship, was home for eight days. The emergency recalled us uh, eight days into my leave. I had to come back. We immediately reembarked on ships, turned around, sailed right back to the Persian Gulf and, and jumped on helicopters and flew off the, uh, uh, off of our uh, amphibious ready group and staged in relative short order in Camp Coyote out on the uh, in the Kuwaiti desert along the uh, Iraqi border and got in position to cross the line of departure and invade Iraq in March of 2003. So that whole operation and be able to get in position as quickly as we did uh, to begin invading Iraq, I would say is also another really good example of what the Marine Corps brings to the table in terms of warfighting capability. So I would say those two things are the uh, are the top two things that I I would say kind of highlights our uh, modern Marine Corps force. Okay, next question. We on question number four. Got another listener question here, and these are good. These are off the beaten path. Okay, these are a little bit lighter, a little bit more fun. Okay, let's see here. What do you think of the U.S. diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics? Well, I don't know. I think it's kind of, uh, I think it's kind of bullshit, and I think it's a half measure with uh, everything. It's no big secret that you know I don't hate Chinese people, but I'm not a big fan of the Chinese Communist Party and everything that they do and represent across the globe. And they are, I've been very vocal about the fact that I believe that they're our number one peer adversary, and they're not shy about telling people that they, you know, they're one of their primary directives is to wage war on the United States, which they have been doing rather well. And they are outmaneuvering us on the global on the global stage, uh, sadly. So, and we're not keeping up with them in many capacities, and we need to really start taking that threat seriously and doing something to shore that up. However, with the current politics and the current uh, situation, and how I would say deeply entrenched our current administration is with China, I doubt that that's going to you know I doubt that we're going to take a hardline stance and do what we really should probably be doing in this situation. I mean, when you've got Hunter Biden uh, that jumps on a plane with his dad and flies over to, uh, who's now the current president, and flies over to China in 2017 to set up a uh, hedge fund deal to manage a $1 billion hedge fund uh, on Air Force Two, uh, I would say we've got some, we've got some issues. And uh, I don't think that uh, this administration is going to do much to curb the threat from, from China since China is putting dollars into our administration's pocket in various capacities from a uh, investment standpoint. The Beijing Olympics, you know, when you've got stuff like that going on, and then we're going to come back and be like, oh, well, we're going to ban the, we're going to boycott the Olympics. I think it's like, why? Why? I don't understand why, why that's a thing. Like, why would we not go participate in the Olympics? And why are we trying to flex and play hardball in that capacity when we're so weak in standing up to China in regards to, you know, trade and tariffs and, you know, what they, what they do in, you know, their various nefarious ways of, you know, um, you know, hacking and the cyber threat that they're bringing to the table and the, you know, the warfare that they're waging in terms of business, which is a whole other ball of wax that really nobody's paying t- attention to and how they're like 
going in and devaluing companies and then buying them or dissolving them so that then they can be replaced with Chinese companies that are, you know, puppets of the, the Chinese Communist Party. It's, it's, there's so many other things that we need to be paying attention to and taking a look at with regard to playing hardball with China and bringing them to the table uh, that, that, that us, you know, saying that we're, you know, oh, we're going to boycott the Olympics. Big fucking deal. That's like a paper tiger. Like, okay, neat, neat story. I don't understand why, you know, that's uh, what, why they're going to try and make that a centerpiece. I think it's, that's to take attention off the fact that everything else that goes on with the current administration and everything that they're doing behind the scenes with, you know, basically being puppets of China. I think our politicians, you know, sold us down the road a long time ago. And if we want to, you know, regain our, our stature and our momentum as a, as a global superpower, we've got a lot of hard work cut out for us. And I don't think we're in a position to currently do it. And I've said this once, I'll say it again. There's many great books out there. I highly recommend everybody read Unrestricted Warfare, which was written by two Chinese colonels and basically outlines everything that they've been doing uh, in terms of you know tech, uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures for all their various uh, initiatives to you know weaken and um, put the United States in in a really bad position. And so I would highly recommend everybody read that. The other one was uh, Brigadier General Robert Spaulding wrote a book called Stealth War, and I highly recommend that you guys read that. That book was very very eye-opening and highlighted a lot of the things that I just mentioned. So, and I would say that was my primary source for everything that I just discussed. So I highly recommend that you guys go check those out. Okay. Let's see here. Ooh, here's a strange one. Have you ever seen a ghost? Um, no, I have not seen a ghost. However, I have had strange things happen around me that I could not explain. I've had certain items go missing and then just magically re- reappear in in an area that I had already searched in. And then when I asked everybody like, hey, did somebody move this, touch this? You know, did you do anything with, you know, this particular item? They did not. And then I've had things that were unexplainable in terms of like doors slam for no reason, um, lights come on and shut off for no reason. Just strange things. And then I would say being a little bit you know, and not to out myself as a, as a crazy hippie, but I, you know, in terms of reading energy and like just feeling my third eye or my sixth sense, whatever you want to call it, tingle. Like I've been in certain areas where like I could tell like there was a shift or a fluctuation that like caused me to hair to stand up on my neck. And I knew that I probably wasn't by myself. So I haven't seen any ghosts, but I definitely, I would say I've felt them and I've probably experienced some strange shenanigans some disturbances in the force. I would love to see a ghost. I would love to actually visually see an apparition, a poltergeist, a weird, whatever you want to call them, uh, spiritual entity uh, appear in front of my eyes because, well, it's like aliens. If you can do that, you can see that, then you would probably, you know, basically understand that there's something next after we're done on this plane of existence, which I believe anyway because of other activities that I've participated in in the psychedelic range. But I would say there's definitely something next. But in terms of seeing uh, a ghost with my own eyes in a sober and lucid state would be pretty fucking cool in my opinion. So like if there's anybody out there, you know what? If you've seen a ghost or you've done some ghost hunting, email me, info at loneelement.com. I'd love to hear the story or, you know what? I'll tell you what, email me. And if I like your story enough, I'll call you and I'll vet you. 
And if I like your story enough, I'll bring you on the podcast as a guest to talk about it and tell your ghost story. How's that? How's that for putting it out there? So let's do that. Hit me up, slide in the DMs or shoot me an email. I prefer emails for things like this. So info at lonelement.com. Okay, let's see here. We got one more question, I think. What do you think of clothes and fashion? Is there such a thing as fashion in the military? Is style and appearance important? Who? I mean, I respect fashion. Well, first of all, let me back up because this was a couple. There was a couple pieces of this. Let's go back here. Okay. Is there such a thing as fashion in the military? No, no. We all have uniforms that we have to wear. I mean, if you want to talk, I mean, I guess technically fashion is a thing with uniforms because the Marine Corps has the best uniforms in the game. So the other branches of the service wish they could pull it off, but they just can't. Like we Marines just, we just, we have it right. We just, we'll just like, we crush at the uniform game. Like we walk into a room and panties just evaporate because it's the Marine Corps, number one. And two, we just rock the uniform game. So our dress blues are unmatched and unparalleled. So I guess that would be kind of a fashion piece. But uh, overall, like you're not allowed to deviate from uniform regulations and guidelines and everything is, you know, you're pretty much told what to wear and you live, especially in my community in the, in the Marine Corps, you live in a, you know, camouflage utility uniform or camis as we like to call them, uh, boots and camis, boots and utes, which is short for utilities is what we call it. And you, you basically live and die in those things. And uh, the only time we really slide into our blues is if we have, you know, Marine Corps birthday ball stuff going on or... Uh, we're going, unfortunately, to a funeral or to a wedding, and uh, that's it's special occasion stuff. But primarily, we live in a camouflage utility uniform, and we in our combat attire, and we don't get to deviate from that. So I would say the style and fashion, a thing in the military, probably not uh, in the in the traditional sense. Now, what do I think personally of clothes and fashion? I dig it. I I think any way people like to express themselves in that capacity is really cool. I dig art. I love art. I love, you know, and that and that to me, fashion is kind of a form of art. They, It's definitely one of the facets and programs of the art school I went to. They had a fashion program, fashion design program there. And we had in San Francisco, we had some super talented people, some of which are friends of mine. I still communicate with and stay in touch with via Instagram. And they are phenomenal designers and produce things that I think are really cool. And I mean, maybe not very functional, but definitely visually very intriguing and very cool. And, you know, I like bright colors and cool stuff. Now, am I a fashion person? No, I'm very fucking boring when it comes to fashion. Like I live in a fucking hoodie and jeans and vans most of my existence. So once in a while, I'll put on a flannel shirt and that's, that's, that's about it. Like I try to stay away from wearing a suit I definitely don't have joggers. I definitely don't wear skinny jeans anymore. I retired from that. Although my Delta 68 first gen jeans that were given to me are the those are pretty pretty skinny. Pretty skinny. I think I'm really looking forward to old Jocko and Origin getting their shit together and maybe getting a professional fashion designer to get in there with some grading tools and maybe help adjust some grades for some different cuts of jeans because the ones, the first gen ones that I got my hands on are super skinny and super tight. Some people love that. I'm not a fan of it. I tried it. I did it in San Francisco. I wanted to blend in, you know, from a, from a blend in kind of standpoint, I wore skinny jeans a bit in San Francisco and fit in just fine and didn't raise any eyebrows over there with my, my ponytail and my skinny jeans. But I've since 
gravitated back to liking jeans that are more of a relaxed fit. So I'm not the best person to talk about fashion at all. Maybe one of these days I'll get a fashionista on the podcast and they can talk. You see what I did there with the pronouns? I said they. She could probably talk about fashion because I know several female fashionistas. I have access to several. One in particular. Hopefully someday she'll show up on the podcast. Until then, I'm sorry. I can't help you with anything related to fashion and style. I'm not a fashionable, stylish person. I'm just not. I'm more of a functional person. I spend a lot of time in the mountains. I sp- you know, Wyoming. I spend a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest. And I, the weather is a pain in the ass here. And it's cold and snowy in where I'm from in the mountains of Wyoming. So function. I do a lot of function over fashion. So I where, let's see, in the past I've worn a lot of Arcteryx. I still love Beyond. Beyond's probably still my primary uh, clothing choice for outerwear. They're a great company. Plus, I really love the fact that they have a clothing line that's manufactured here in the U.S. and not in China for all the aforementioned things that we just discussed. So I really am not the guy. I'm not the guy for this, but maybe someday I will get some of my design creatures on or other wonderful humans I know that are fashionistas and driven in that capacity and we will pick their brains on this topic so yeah well i think that concludes this week's questions i think that was five maybe it was six i don't know i wasn't paying attention i wasn't counting but that wraps up things for this weapons free wednesday i hope everybody had a great week i hope everybody enjoyed my podcast with my good friend nick betts he is a fucking stud and i love that dude and i'm looking forward to getting ready to see him probably the next time we'll get to hang out because the holidays are rapidly on top of us is that shot show so i'm really looking forward to seeing that dude again and soon and so yeah that's the big ticket items we're creeping up close to christmas we are getting right on top of christmas time so i we're gonna fire out the rest of these episodes we got a we got a few more left to close out the year we got some pretty good guests coming up uh on the podcast that i think you guys will like and uh i'm excited to get those out and then we're gonna close out the year and then i'm gonna have to take a look at what our january plans are because what i think may happen looking at our how what our workflow's been uh, in other capacities and what's going on i think we may end up uh not uh posting anything or putting up any podcasts in january we may shut down in january because we have a lot of things coming going on we're going to be coming out of shot show or i'm sorry we're going to be coming out of the holidays and we're going to be doing christmas here soon we're going to be doing new year's and then we're going to be getting prepped and firing right into shot show and there's a lot of work that goes into getting ready to go do that so what we'll probably do is we'll go on another hiatus and we will put we'll probably take january off and then we will kick out uh we'll start kicking podcasts back out in uh, february because there's a lot of people that will be congregated in one area that are going to that i've talked to that are going to be fantastic guests of the podcast and there's enough people co-located at shot show that i'm going to do as many podcasts as i can while we're there and that'll probably round out to be honest with you there's enough talent at shot show that if I knock out a couple podcasts a day, that'll pretty much take us through the first part of the summer with content. So that's probably what we're going to do. We're probably going to shut things down in January, hit the ground running at SHOT Show, get a lot of episodes in the can, and then get back after it come February 1st. And that's probably going to be our workflow. Our workflow. We're still, Cato and I are very much still in the beginning stages of this. I mean, we're episode 17 right now. So we haven't even hit our six month mark. So we're still trying to find our, our feet 
and uh, get our workflow dialed in. But I think moving forward, this is what it's going to be tentatively for right now. It's going to be a shutdown in January to get content lined up and do the SHOT Show thing. And then we're going to do a fall break. We'll go through the summer with content and then we will probably stop in October like we did this last year to have a fall break and enjoy the fall and do some hunting and have a vacation from the content monster. So that's probably what we're going to, that's probably how things are going to shape up. So just wanted to give you guys a heads up on that. Um, but once again, thank you to all my, my fans out there. I really appreciate you guys. Thanks for following the cast. And we look forward to catching you next Monday. So we'll catch you then. Peace. Anyone who runs is a VC. Anyone who stands still is a well-disciplined VC. <laughs>